Hey, Bible readers, I'm Tara Lee Cobble, and I'm your host for the Bible Recap. Today, Elihu finished the speech we started reading yesterday, and I'm so glad that's behind us. I used to really like Elihu because it kind of felt like he was on Job's side when he started rebuking the other three friends, but the more I studied this book, the more listening to him felt like a broken record. Even though he started off a little more humble yesterday, he's become far more self-assured the longer he talks, growing harsher in his rebuke of Job and even bordering on cruelty. In 36.2, he claims to be speaking on God's behalf. And in verse 4, he refers to himself as perfect in knowledge. Wow, those are pretty big claims to make. Just like with Job's other friends, the hard part about weeding through all of Elihu's words is that a lot of what he says about God is true. For example, in 35, 1-7, he points out that neither our sin nor our righteousness affects God's position or perfection. That's true. He tells Job that his righteousness in particular can't be used for bartering with God. That's true too. We've talked about the fact that our righteousness is like filthy rags, according to the prophet Isaiah. But where Elihu went wrong was in assuming that Job was trying to use his righteousness as a bartering tool. In chapter 36, Elihu points out that godless people cherish anger. I have this passage underlined in my Bible. I thought it was interesting because in the first sentence we read about Elihu, we read that he was angry. Certainly, there are a lot of good things to be angry about. God's angry at sin, for instance. That's righteous anger. Being angry at sin and oppression aligns with godliness. But if we're honest, most of the things that we get angry about are selfish, which means it would be unrighteous anger. And when I think about what it means to cherish anger, that sounds awful. What happens to you when you cherish anger? When I cherish anger, I have a tendency to become pretty self-righteous. I don't have a desire to forgive the person I'm angry with. I want bad things to happen to them. I start on a path toward bitterness, and my heart grows hard toward people and toward God. I become cynical and arrogant. And while I don't know his heart, it seems like this could be the trajectory Elihu is on here as well, especially given that his argument keeps ramping up more and more. As we keep reading, we see that Elihu repeats some of the other themes from the earlier parts of his speech that we read yesterday. He says things about God like, He delivers the afflicted by their affliction. He opens their ear by adversity. That's true. We talked about that. God does use adversity and affliction to draw people to himself. And I'm so glad. This trial that Satan meant for evil, God used it for his purposes. To purify Job, to glorify himself all the more, both good things. Often, When life abounds with riches and comfort and ease, it's all too common to feel like we don't need God. It's His mercy that opens our eyes to the truth that those things don't ultimately satisfy. I have no disdain for a death row conversion or a deathbed repentance. I really believe those challenging times can serve as a way of illuminating the truth. Even the thief who was crucified beside Jesus had a moment like this in his final hours. Struggles can serve as a magnifying glass on the truth. And on the other side of those struggles, if we've really seen the true value and beauty of an intimate relationship with the Father, we would say those struggles were worth it in order to know Him better. Just like the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, we would say, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There was a preacher and theologian in the 19th century named Charles Spurgeon, and he put it this way, I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. That phrase, rock of ages, is a reference to God. When all else is movable, God, our rock, has been unmoved throughout all the ages. Elihu says some really beautiful things about the way God speaks, and honestly, I loved reading them. They were like poetry. But in the context, they're all intended to imply that Job is not listening to God. Elihu is praising God's glory and majesty, but in a way that's intended to crush Job. He's using poetry as a hammer. He closes with this statement about God. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. It's true that God draws near to the humble. That leads me to think that God is drawing nearer to Job in this, because Elihu has gone on for six whole chapters about how wrong Job is, and Job has not pushed back once. Maybe Job was staying silent out of humility, or maybe he was just all out of strength to fight back at this point. Where did you see God in today's reading? For me, my God shot was in a little verse in chapter 37. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. This is called God's providence. It's his protective care and his preparation for the future. He has his purposes, and they may remain a mystery to us, but we can trust that he's at work. In his providence, he's being attentive to every detail and intentional in working out his plan. Maybe it's a plan to correct the hearts of the wayward. Maybe it's a plan to establish and bless his people. And maybe it's just an act of love that's far beyond our understanding. But we can rest knowing that he's working in all things for his glory and our joy, and especially knowing that he's where the joy is. You guys are the very best at spreading the word about TBR. Thanks to you, so many people who never would have read through the Bible have joined us and are loving it. So here's a pro tip for all of you who love to share the joy. When you're inviting your friends to join us, have them start at the start, as opposed to jumping in where we currently are. That's the whole point of doing this chronologically, so we can follow the whole storyline. The plot is important. So whether they plan on reading through the entire Bible or the New Testament, encourage them to start at the beginning of that section. We've lined up all the details for them on the start page of our website. So the best way to make sure they get off to a good start is to send them to thebiblerecap.com forward slash start. The end. One of my favorite things to do is lead teaching tours of Israel. And it's about to get even better because now I'm partnering with Hope Media Group and its ministries, including waynation.com, to give you a chance to join me on one of these trips for free. To find out more, click the link in today's show notes or text the word TRIP to 67101.